Am I on? I'm not on. I'm on here. I'm on. Good, thank you. Different tech challenges as we're outside. And by the way, um, thank you, Paul and Dan and all the team that sets up. Uh, there's challenges in tech every Sunday. You guys have worked so hard. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a little bit aware of how challenging it can be, and uh, just because I'm here often as they set up, I'm just very grateful for these guys uh, and being adaptive to these circumstances so we can worship together. Well, we are in the final message uh, of the series that we've been in this summer on the Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 105 this morning. We've covered so far seven of the eight different types of Psalms. Um, there are eight types, uh, Psalm of Confidence, Hymn, imprecatory psalm, kingship, lament, wisdom, thanksgiving, and finally this type is a remembrance psalm. Now, the psalms cover really the whole gamut of the experience of God's people. Um, and uh, these psalms of remembrance are psalms that focus on remembering. Really, remembrance is an element in probably most of the psalms. But these psalms in particular, are there's four of them total, are, are especially focused. And you'll see that as we go into psalm 105. The lesson in Psalm 105 and, and in uh, the Psalms of Remembrance and really the whole principle of remembrance in Scripture is that remembering well is essential to living well. Remembering well is essential to living well. And remembering what God has done is essential in living for what God will do. Um, this past week I, I was uh, working in the office here and uh, it was I think maybe Tuesday, and I was just a little bit discouraged and tempted, kind of the normal part of ups and downs you maybe you experience during the week. There's just some days you, you feel great, and some days you don't feel so well, and you're discouraged or tempted. And, and uh, that morning, I was finally uh, cleaning up a bin of old stuff that was in my office that someone had uh, cleaned out my desk for me, had put there. And I was going through that old bin, cleaning out things, and I found some forgotten treasures. Actually, I meant to bring them and have them in my hand, but um, I found some forgotten treasures. First, I found a number of church directories. Actually, I think I found like five, six, or seven of them, going all the way back to 2002 when we started our church. Um, and each of those directories was full of names of precious people who have been part or still are a part of our church and had been part of our life and mission together as a church they were uh, so those directories represented really all that God had done over the years I also found an old Father's Day card um, from my son John uh, my son John now was 27 at the time he was maybe eight or nine somewhere around there um, and it, it was just a Father's Day card he had illustrated himself in his best crayon and uh, had, had actually used script, his best crayon script, and, and said a, a number of things. Just, I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for teaching us about God and showing us the gospel. Um, and it just, um, it just did my heart good to see those things. Uh, in an unexpected way, I was just cleaning out a bin. Um, but it reminded me of all that God had done over the years. And it, and it strengthened me. And it didn't just, it wasn't just nostalgia going on, actually. What it did was created faith for the future as well. Uh, it created the ability to, to be excited about what God will do in light of what He had done. That's how these things work. 
remembrance is an important part of walking with God. Um, and, and this psalm today teaches us that. It teaches us this important lesson that we must remember well to live well. We must remember what God has done to live for what God will do. So let's pray as we look at this psalm that God would do this and teach us about this this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and, and the instruction of your word and the life that your word gives. We thank you for this wonderful psalm. And I pray, Lord, as we go through it, I, I ask you, Lord, to stir our hearts and to teach us and to change us and to shape us and to make us more like Jesus individually and together that we might live well in you. Help me to teach well. And I pray as a result of our time, our eyes would be more fixed on you. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His, of his wonderful works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant. Children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. He, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word that He commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that He made with Abraham. His sworn promise to Isaac. Which He confirmed to Jacob as a statute. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. Saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as your, your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number. Of little account. And sojourners in it. Wandering from nation to nation. From one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The rule of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among his tribes who stumbled. 
Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven and abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing, and gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they may keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Psalm 105. I want to dig into this psalm and learn from it and that main point that we must remember well if we are to live well. We must remember what God has done if we're going to live for what God will do. There are three things I I want to talk about from this psalm. I want to look at the results of remembering, the recipe for remembering, and the reason for remembering. So let's dig in. First, the results of remembering. This psalm starts with a call to worship in the first four verses. Before it gets into the content, there's a call. And that call to worship has 11 different actions that are called for. These actions are something that would not only represent corporate worship, because that's how this psalm was used in, in a corporate gathering of God's people, but also a lifestyle of walking with God. And before it gets into verse 5 and, and the topic of remembering, there are all these actions that precede that. First it says, give thanks to the Lord. All these 11 actions are actually tied to remembering. They are actually the results of remembering. I I think you'll see that as we go through. So first, give thanks to the Lord. The psalmist calls them to give thanks to the Lord. Um, This is what follows actually from remembering. What we're going to see later, the recounting and remembering. By the way, if you were to look in Psalm 106, you would see a psalm very similar to Psalm 105. But Psalm 106 is actually the negative example of remembering. It's what, what it looks like when you don't remember. And if you look in that psalm, you'll see that they actually don't do these 11 things. They do the opposite. And so these first 11 things are what it looks like when we do remember. So there's a call to worship that connects to remembering. So give thanks to the Lord. When you remember what God, the I Am, the Lord has done, you will give thanks. When you remember how in the past He's done countless wonderful things, acts of mercy and kindness and power you will give thanks and for them uh, that past included being redeemed from Egypt being rescued from slavery in Egypt and oppression and God taking care of them for us as New Testament believers we live in the fulfillment of these things ultimately we can look back at what he's done for us in Jesus and his rescue in the through the life death and resurrection of Christ and give thanks So we're called to give thanks as we remember these things, as we remember God's actions of kindness and care and blessing. So give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Of course, we're going to call upon God's name when we know that He's been gracious and good to us. It's important to understand the connections here. You may read this and just think it's it's just a... uh, simple call uh, to do things like call upon his name but you will not call upon his name unless you remember well that's what's going on here so when we remember well we will call upon him we'll remember what he's done and therefore call him right that makes sense we do that with other things if your car is broken down 
um, and you're not a good mechanic and you need help, and you know of a good mechanic who does a great job and at a good price, what do you do? You call in his name, right? You call that mechanic and you bring your car and it just works that way. When you know that somebody in the past has been faithful and able, you call upon him. And that's how it is with the Lord. When you know that God has acted faithfully and graciously, you call upon him. And then it says next, make known his deeds among the peoples. Well, that follows too, right? If you know that he is good and gracious, you won't just keep it to yourself. If you have a good car mechanic and your friend needs car work done, what do you do? You tell your friend about that car mechanic. You make known the deeds of that car mechanic to your friend. And that's how it is with the Lord. When we, when we know He's good, when we live a life of remembering His goodness, looking back at what He's done, we will make known His deeds among the nations. We will tell others about Him as well. It goes on, says, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works. Of course, when we are full of memories of God's goodness to us, and memories that maybe look way back, but also recent memories, we will, we will sing. We'll enjoy singing His praises and telling of His wonderful works in song. We'll, we will have those things in our minds, and we'll remember and we'll celebrate. It says next, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. This, this action as well follows from remembering. We glory in His holy name. And it says, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. These things are connected. Again, the Psalms are poetic. And so when there's two lines, usually they're connected like this. So there's glorying in His holy name and rejoicing in Him. These things go together. When you are aware of His goodness to you, when you remember what He's done, when you live in that, when it fills your mind and your heart, you will glory in Him. Uh, they're connected. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism famously asked in its opening question, what is the chief end of man? So what is the chief end? What's the chief purpose? What is the, the most important purpose of mankind, of, of humanity? What is the chief end of man, it asks. And then it gives its answer. That's how the catechism is laid out. It's question and answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our chief end is to glorify Him and enjoy Him. Those are two things that are supposed to be one thing, right? It's one chief end, one chief purpose. What is the purpose? It's to both glorify and enjoy Him because glorying in God and enjoying Him, they go together. If you glory in something, that thing will be your joy and whatever gives you joy is your glory. That's just how it works. Um, that's how things work. We are worshipers. We're made in the image of God and that's how we live. Uh, the they are connected. And as worshiping beings, the things that bring us joy are the things we glory in. The things that we glory in are the things that give us joy. And so when we remember all that God has done, when we allow the, the truth of His graciousness and the, the truth of His glorying um, to fill our mind, that will feed us glorying in Him and rejoicing in Him. That's what's going on in the psalm. These things are all connected. All these things at the front are really the results that are supposed to be in place when we remember Him. It goes on. It says, Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Again, when we are aware of all that He's done, we, when we remember well, we will seek Him. 
And we'll seek Him for His strength. We'll seek Him in our need. We'll seek Him in our weakness. We'll seek Him when we feel down or unable or overwhelmed. We'll seek His strength. We'll seek His presence. We'll seek to be with Him and dwell with Him. We'll love to come to church on Sunday to be with Him and be with His people. We'll love to seek Him in our time of prayer in the Word. We'll love to seek Him by getting with other believers during our week. We will seek His presence continually because we know He's good. He's been good. That's what happens when we remember well. These things all fit together. They are the results of knowing and remembering. Now, I know that from experience. I know that as I look at my own life. When I remember well, I worship well, I seek well, I praise Him well, I depend on Him well. But when I don't remember well, I don't do those things. I know that from experience, but we have it right here in, this, in the Word. This is laid out in this psalm in a compelling way to teach us and instruct us about this whole pattern. And of course, as I said, Psalm 106, you can look at that. I don't have time to to teach from Psalm 106, but if you go through that psalm, you'll see actually all the same sorts of things in Psalm 105, but instead of remembering and being full of awareness of what God has done, they forget. And they don't do these things. They don't glory in God. They don't rejoice in Him. They don't sing praises to Him. They don't depend on Him. They don't give Him thanks. They don't make His deeds known. They don't do any of these things because they forget. And so the contrast here in light of these themes of remembering clues us in to what the psalmist is doing in this opening section. In these calls to worship. These are calls that come out of remembering well. And you and I can only accomplish these things if we remember well. That's what we're learning here. Vivid memories have a powerful effect in our lives. That's how they work. Just think this past week, 19 years ago, four planes were simultaneously hijacked with the intention of destroying four American landmarks, the two World Trade Towers, the Pentagon, and the Capitol. And all of us who lived through that time, we have vivid memories, don't we, of what happened. And I'm sure for you this week, as, as you recounted these things, um, you access those vivid memories and you felt certain things, right? It was almost like you were there again. It produces strong emotions. And the memories of that day are, are many of them so dark, we don't want to recount them. But there are also some very precious points of really bright light amidst those memories. Who can forget the first responders rushing into those buildings? Who can forget those on Flight 93 deciding to sacrifice their lives to take the plane down so that the Capitol would not be destroyed? They didn't know all the details. but Who can forget the way that it just seemed like everybody just stopped for a little bit, stopped running around in the rat race to care a little more about one another? Who can forget the sense of, of, of value of the good things about our country? Right? If we were old enough to experience that, those things I think were our experience. Those are vivid memories and they should function in our lives now in a positive way. So they should actually encourage us to pray for and act for the good of our country. For peace and justice. 
and freedom and the good things to move forward rather than division and hate and destruction. And we need that sort of redemptive memory right now, don't we? To at least pray for our country. We don't know all the ways forward, but God, grant us justice and peace and goodness. Remembering the past has great power for living in our futures. And if you as a Christian are looking for a fresh start or just to grow to another level, I want to tell you that you need to remember well. That will be the thing that makes the difference. Well, let's continue uh, and look at the recipe for remembering. The, the way that this psalm goes, we have that opening part, and then verse 5 um, is really the key call where it says, Remember the wondrous works that he's done. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, verse 6. And so that's the, that's the central idea in this psalm. And then he's going to go on from there to, to talk about what it looks like. What are the things to remember? So that's what I want to dig into, the recipe that we get by looking at these things. And, and first, it says um, that the Lord, our God, his judgments are on all the earth. He's active. And then verse 8, he remembers his covenant forever. He remembers His covenant forever. So in verse 8, God remembers. And then in verse 42, it ends the same way, actually. God remembering His covenant. And so the first thing we do before we have the recipe for remembering, before we even remember, is that we remember that He remembers. The most important part of all this is not you remembering, but God remembering. He never forgets. God never fails to remember. He remembers His covenant forever. He made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all nations. And Abraham believed God and God counted to, to him as righteousness. And so there's this relationship with Abraham that's of God's grace. God promises to bless Abraham. He calls Abraham out of, of, of uh, his background, his non-believing background, to follow him. And he promises to bless him. He makes a promise to Abraham. It's a one-way covenant. God is the one that who is the promise keeper at that point. And he remembers his covenant, is what the psalmist is saying. He doesn't forget what he said to Abraham. And so the basis for all these things that are going to follow are God's faithfulness to remember his covenant with Abraham. So all the things that God does in the Old Testament, and I would also say everything he does in fulfilling these things in the New Testament through Jesus, are based on or flow out of that original promise that he never forgets. God does not forget. He does not have days where he just kind of has a bad day and forgets about all that he said before and all that who he, all who he is. He's faithful. He remembers. He remembers his covenant forever. He doesn't forget. And so if we are going to learn to remember ourselves, let's ground ourselves in the fact that it's all built on God's faithfulness. And our faithfulness can only flow because of his faithfulness. And so that's where it starts. And that's where the book ends of this psalm, our God remembering where we might forget. Also in the recipe is we are to remember His promises in the past. We're to remember His promises. And so that's where it starts out with the promise, the covenant He made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac. He made these promises to bless them and make them a blessing. It's the basis uh, for His promises uh, in Jesus, being realized in Jesus. Um, Jesus comes to actually make the promises of Abraham a reality. Um, this promise to make 
Abraham a blessing to all nations is ultimately through Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, the, the faithful one. And it is through Jesus himself that God can say to, to Abraham, count Abraham righteous through faith. Because Jesus alone is the righteous one. Jesus dies for our sins and is raised from the dead, alive forevermore. He conquers sin and death. He's the righteous one. And we are counted righteous in Him through simple faith. This promise of Abraham is what we remember. This promise fulfilled in Jesus is what we remember. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a promise in Scripture that flows out of God's promise, eternal promise. Abraham is where it starts, fulfilled in Jesus. And so we remember these promises. We remember His promises to us that are sure things based on real promises in history, real events, and then the faithfulness of God Himself. We are to remember His protective acts. It goes on here. And it speaks of the people of God as they are few in number. Verse 12, of little account and sojourners in it. Wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. This is the early days when, when there weren't many Hebrews. And they didn't have a homeland. And they were few in number. And they, they were in danger. And God protects them. They roamed among the nations and He was there to protect them and to keep them from, from being oppressed and hurt and harmed. And so, the psalmist wants them to remember that God protected His people. He was fully in control when they were in a dangerous situation. He was faithful to protect us. And this promise is fulfilled for us in Jesus. Jesus says to His followers, and, and the intention is for us as well, He says in Luke 21:18, speaking of being under persecution, He says, not a hair of their head will perish. Interesting. So he's talking about his disciples going into situations where there would be persecution. And he says, not a hair of their head will perish. What did he mean? Well, we know that persecution can sometimes bring physical harm. What Jesus is saying there is not that you won't have anything that happens to you ever physically, but ultimately you will never perish. We are alive forever in Jesus. Though our bodies may fade and die, our souls will never die. Our bodies will be made new forever on His return. He keeps us in His hand forever. No one can snatch us out of His hand. He protects us from perishing. He protects us in Jesus. Nothing can ultimately harm you. And everything that would harm you in this life will be used for good ultimately. That's the truth for you as a believer. That's the promise and truth of God that is flows from what God demonstrated for His people in the Old Testament and fulfills in Jesus. Not a hair of your head will perish. You will live if you have come to faith in Christ. You will live forever. Jesus says, "I am the resurrection and the die, and the I am the resurrection and the life." Anyone who believes in Him will never die. We're protected. We remember that we are protected. In Him, we look at life differently as a result. We remember His providential acts. The psalmist goes on and talks about um, what God has done in the life of the Old Testament people of God. He, it says in verse 16, actually, He summoned a famine on the land. Isn't that interesting? There's a famine that comes to the land, and the psalmist says, actually, it's God who summons the famine. 
He's the one who brings the famine and He brings the shortage of bread. He's the one who, who brings these, these hardships and then answers the people's need in the hardship. Uh, it will continue as well. Joseph goes down uh, and Joseph is put in chains. He's a slave. And yet God raises him to make him uh, in charge of, of the king's uh, jurisdiction, his household and everything. Pharaoh's uh, kingdom comes under Joseph. And then it says later that Moses, um, uh, the people go into Israel, uh, into Egypt, sorry, and it says he turned their hearts to hate his people. So he sovereignly is in control of the Egyptians despising the, the Israelites. Interesting. This is supposed to be how a psalm of remembrance, right? And you would think it's all about the good things God's done for me. It's not just that. It's also the hardships that God's allowed and, and ordained to work good in His people. And so it's the providence of God. It's His providential act. And it's this mixing together of hardship and blessing and using hardship to do, to do good. So He uses the hardship of the famine in the land to, to take care of His people, to bring them to Egypt, to take to provide for them, to uh, provide, he provides Joseph for them, and Joseph gets exalted as the king, and God makes provision for them, but then that gets turned around in God's providence into hardship because they get oppressed. But then what does he do? He delivers them from Egypt in power. He demonstrates to them that he's more powerful than any circumstance, any human authority that might try to uh, oppress them. He is over these things. So those are his providential acts, we call them. And this is true for us, in, of course, in the New Testament. We learn this many places in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transients. The things that are unseen are eternal. And the famous verse, probably many of us are familiar with, Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Brothers and sisters, God is acting for you in His providence. And we ought to remember His providential acts. The psalmist goes on and teaches us that this recipe of remembrance must include remembering His powerful acts. The psalmist lists these, these powerful things that God does in Egypt. These powerful uh, miracles and signs He does under Moses to bring them out. He lists those out. He lists the different uh, plagues that are brought. He lists first the plague of darkness, which is the ninth plague. This powerful uh, sign that was given and, and its effect on Egypt. As we look there, um, he sent darkness, verse 28, and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. Speaking of the Egyptians, this was a sign that actually caused them to submit, uh, th though only temporarily, but to submit to the Lord. And then all these other powerful signs, these powerful miracles that God does to, to rescue them. God has acted powerfully for his people because of his promises. He acts powerfully for them in Egypt. And we, we took time as a church to go through Exodus recently and, and we're familiar perhaps with these things if you were here. Um, 
these are powerful signs that God did, but actually they're not as powerful as what He's done in Jesus. The fulfillment and the greatest thing that God has done in terms of power is in the life of Christ in His death and resurrection and all that comes with it. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 for the Ephesians to know this power. To be aware of this power. And he says, he prays for them that they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So when God raised Jesus from the dead, He acted in power, but His raising of Christ is not just to give Him life physically, but to give Him authority and rule over all powers. So everything now submits to Him, is under His rule. He is reigning right now to accomplish His work. And He will finish that work one day. When the Gospel has gone to all peoples, and He fulfills the mission through His church, He will come back, and He will vanquish all evil. He will do, undo all evil and, and renew creation. So He has acted and will act most powerfully in Jesus. For us. That's what Paul's saying here in Ephesians. He's done all these things for the church. For you. As a believer. The whole universe belongs to you. Through Jesus. He rules over all things for you. There is nothing, nothing that is more powerful than Him. doesn't even compare. And we may look at things, we may, we may be fearful of, of powerful things that go on, and, and we may forget this truth that this psalm says. Remember this truth. Remember these things and let it change how you interact with seemingly powerful things that oppose you. Let, let it cause you to sing praises. So that first part, right? Let it... Let it cause you to seek the Lord continually. To seek His strength. To depend on Him. To remember these ways that He's acted. We're to remember His wonderful provision. So He brings the people out in these powerful ways. And he, it says, Then He brought out Israel with silver and gold. And there was none among His tribes who stumbled. Verse 37. So He provides for them as they come out. There's provision that goes on. He supplies silver and gold. They don't stumble at that point. God makes them successful. There's no stumbling and falling. They're all successful in getting out and journeying. Then they go out and it says He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. So He supplies His presence, His oversight. He brought quail. He gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. So God provided for them. He, he met their needs and, and more so. He's a provider for us. It's so important to remember this. And, and we've all experienced amazing provision just uh, as part of our society and part of this time in history. I would submit that through the uh, influence of Christianity and God's kindness, we live at an unprecedented time of health and prosperity. It's amazing. And we take it for granted sometimes. And perhaps you've seen some of the things as uh, reflections as we struggle with uh, COVID 
and we can be more aware of what we don't have and they're just reflections like I I was I'm safe I'm in my house I had a meal I'm with my family they're just listing out these things those are things we take for granted that that in much of history and much of the world those were not things that were normally experienced we have unprecedented health and prosperity and I, I would submit it's through the influence of Christianity and God's kindness even the very poorest among us live at a standard higher than many of the wealthiest of former times. Our homes are, relative to what people have known, our palaces. Our food supply is virtually endless. Our peace, though not perfect, is incredibly profound. Our health and lifespan are unimaginable to many people in previous centuries. God has provided for us. We are all very rich temporarily. And more importantly, than all these things, as great as they are, we have an inheritance in Christ that is eternal and infinite in worth and will never be taken away. We will never be forsaken. Though we may die, physically we shall never die, spiritually. Though we may be homeless, we have an eternal home in heaven and on the new earth. Though we may have, we ha may have no money, we have and we own the whole universe in Jesus. Though we may be a widow or an orphan, we have a countless number of family members for eternity. Though we may feel alone, we are one with God, the three in one. He has provided all these things for us. This is the recipe from the psalm for remembering, recounting His perfect faithfulness and remembering. Remembering His promises. Remembering His protection. Remembering His providence. Remembering His power. Remembering His provision for all of us. That's the recipe. And that's what we do on Sundays, by and large. Much of what we do on Sundays is just simply remembering together. Our time of worship. We sing songs of remembrance. What He has done. We hear testimonies and prophetic words, perhaps, of what God has done for us. We hear a sermon recounting His deeds. We celebrate a sacrament of remembrance. We go out from this place to anticipate what He will do based on what He has done to live the week. So in many ways, that's what we do together. And Sundays are an important part of remembering well so that we might live well. By the way, I want to encourage us to consider other ways to remember well, to help each other remember. Um, I would love to see a, a new season of revitalized community groups because Sundays, as wonderful as they can be and important as they are, are just not enough. We need to be together throughout the week. The early church uh, met in the temple, but also house to house. And I'd love to see a, a revitalized community group movement in our church. Just people saying, look, whether or not it's going to be official, I just want to host people at my house during the week. And people just want to join in and be a part of that. Under the new provisions, we can have up to 25 people, actually, uh, for an official church function. And private functions, you can have up to 50 people. So however you're going to interpret your gathering, have some gatherings Get together. And I just encourage you to commit to two things. One, remember together. Remember well. Uh, maybe just review the Sunday sermon or some other suitable teaching. And then pray for each other. Pray for each other as you look forward to where you go from that place of remembering. We are to be a people who remember. And then finally, let's talk about the reason for remembering more, more briefly. Verse 44 and following. At the end of this psalm, 
It says, He gave them the lands of the nations and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep His statutes and observe His laws. The goal in all this remembering is ultimately to keep His law. To, re- to observe His statutes. To, to walk in His ways. And as you hear that, probably uh, the legalist and libertine in us hears you know, the law as taskmaster. Oh no, I don't want to live under the law. I want to be free. Oh no, I guess i got to keep the law. That's what it's about. But that's not how the law is meant to function. It does function that way for us, but it's not meant to function that way. For those who are truly free in the Lord and they know His love and mercy and they are fully aware of what He's done in the past and know that they're freed in Christ, that Christ has fulfilled all righteousness, we are righteous in Jesus, so it's not about my performance. For those who know that freedom and that grace and know that we're beloved in that way, the law functions should function radically differently than how the legalist or libertine would see it. It's an invitation to love is what it is. It's the details of love, right? Because the law is summed up with two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so the law is really the details of love. It shows us what love looks like. Love is not just a feeling. It's not just an attitude. It's not just a choice. It's real and tangible. It's concrete. And that's why the law has these details. It shows us what love looks like. It looks like worshiping God and doing the things at the beginning of the psalm. It looks like casting your cares on Him when you're troubled. It looks like loving your spouse and laying your life down for your spouse for their true happiness. It looks like honoring your parents and caring for them, honoring them as, and obeying them as a child, caring for them in their old age. It looks like loving your kids and working hard to guide and provide for them. It looks like loving your, your neighbors, your actual neighbors, and being there for them as much as possible. It looks like prioritizing the people in, in your church and how you love. It looks like working hard at your job, using your gifts to bless others and provide for others. It looks like being a good citizen. It looks like doing all these things over the long haul. That's what the law looks like. That's what love looks like. You can't do that if you don't remember well. You won't do it if you don't remember well. You must remember well to live well. That's here in the psalm. It's elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, I think of Revelation chapter 2. Jesus addresses a church that had once been full of life and vitality. It had seen thousands and thousands come to Jesus and follow Jesus. It had become a new headquarters of Christianity. It had become the home of apostles and missionaries from many lands. But now, some 50 years later, it had lapsed. And so Jesus addresses this church that looked good in some ways, but, but had lapsed in some key ways. And it says in Revelation 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, remember, Therefore, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, yet this 
you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. My dearly loved brother or sister, have you forgotten your first love? Has discouragement or doubt or distraction creeped in and taken over? Have you compromised in some way, even if it is barely noticeable? Maybe just your level of zeal and joy? What can be done for you? What does the Scripture say? What does Psalm 105 teach us? What does Revelation 2 teach us? Remember, 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 remember what God has done for you. Remember what God has done for you so that you will continue to live for Him. Remember well that you might live well. Let's pray.